It is episode 36 of the Questions Podcast with Pastor Mark and Pastor Miles. How's it going, Mark? Amazing. Life is good. Life is fantastic. Except that it got hot again this week. I know. It was kind of a putting a damper on our minty freshness. I was, I was hoping for some colder weather, but not to be so. Mm. Next windy. Week. Windy and warm. Fire weather. It's that time of year. It's windy, yeah. Windy, yeah. There's always some crazy person. Fire department is on edge. I was there yesterday. Yeah? Yep. They're ready to go. Escondido PD is doing patrols looking for arsonists. What exactly does an arsonist look like? Just like you or me. Firebugs. Goodness gracious. I don't like fire. I like explosions, though. I like fire and explosions. Yeah? What, when you I get the kid, two together? When I was a kid, I wanted to be a pyrotechnician. Wow. That was the job I wanted until I took chemistry in high school. And then you had to do a lot of studying and stuff. No, then I realized that maybe I don't want to be a pyrotechnician. So, I thought I wanted to be an actor. You are an actor. You're a celeb. Yeah? Celebrity. I'm a regular thespian. Not quite. No? I don't think so. But anyways, there you go. You got any news stories this week? I got nothing. I got nothing either. I don't I don't want it, There's nothing I'm news. I'm trying really. to avoid the news right now. Yeah, the only stuff that's in the news right now is a whole bunch of um, politics. politics stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's a devil. Chaos. Chaos. Absolute chaos. Everywhere you look is chaos. I, no wonder we can't get anything done in this country. Yeah. You know? So I will withhold my comments. There you go. There you go. That's, all, that's as silent as we're going to be. That's it. As silent as the grave. Yeah. Anyways, what else is new? Well, let's see. We had a great time yesterday hanging out. We got to hang out with Kena from uh, Alternatives yesterday. Alternatives has their big uh, their big shindig tonight. Their fall fundraiser. Their banquet. So I'm hoping a lot of it's actually totally sold out. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so they're they're doing a great job over there, and yes, they people are. are recognizing it, want to get behind it. They see how serious now, how important that this ministry is. So I'm really excited about that. We we are definitely. In agreement that uh, we we think that life is important. We are pro-life. And that's not a political issue, people. No, it's that's a moral, a moral issue. biblical issue. God made life, and we are appreciative. God's pro-life. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm there. Pretty excited. Saturday's the beginning of hunting season. Mm. Deer season opens. Rifle season. So I'm excited about that. Are you now? Was up at the range today, just putting Although, out a few, just finishing touches. Making sure that everything's shooting perfect. So if something goes bad, it's my fault. What are we shooting? Three hundred eight. Yes, we are. There we go. Three hundred eight. Ruger American. I, yeah, I think that's what I, it. It's hard. You know, that's one of the things when you walk over and, gosh, what should I use? It's like I can imagine you golfers eeny, have with golf clubs. Mo. Yeah, you nine you know, iron so pitching like, wedge. Yeah. Which which should we go with yeah. today? So and I yeah. always love it. The all name. depends. It's a utility piece yeah. of equipment. Pitching wedge. That yeah. just sounds great. You got a whole bunch of different wedges. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yep. Yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah. Hopefully it'll get cooler because hunting in the heat don't seem like a good plan. I'm not going to do that. No. Not going to do that. I don't, I don't like hunting in the heat. If you happen to um, get what you go hunting for, are you going to share? Absolutely. Awesome. Good. Yeah. Because I think last time... I got some uh, venison sausage, which was quite good. It was very good, huh? I really it, enjoyed that. It was great with my eggs. Elliot approved. He liked it. Oh, good. He's like, this is this is tasty stuff here. Yeah. You it know, it, it's interesting because a lot of people are like, ooh, venison, there's this thing that it doesn't taste good. <clears throat> and they just haven't had it prepared right. Yeah. And I mean, and you can cook anything to death. and You could take a filet mignon and cook it to death and have it taste horrible. You True. Have I've, had, right. I've had some of those before. That's kind of a bummer. When yeah. You go well, Denny's nice... is not the place to go for your filet. No, I'm not talking Denny's. I'm oh, talking okay. some, some higher dollar restaurants and you order a filet mignon and it comes out and it's like, yeah, that's not, that's not the way you're supposed to cook this. It's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. You know, I feel kind of violated today. I went, I went to go buy some more ammo, just backup ammo, uh-huh. you know? And because there's a particular ammo that shoots really great in my particular firearm, hunting rifle. And not only was it $40. It's gotten expensive. incredibly expensive because you have to only shoot copper Mm. in California. That's right. right. 
because somehow they're under the delusion that if a lead bullet goes into something, and then somehow the buzzards a, come and eat it, a condor could eat that lead bullet. And, and I'm like, if you're dumb enough the to condor eat lead, is going to get lead poisoning. Yeah, I just don't see that. So anyway, and, and they've that's really a very have, high probability. Well, they've never found a condor with a lead bullet in its stomach, but that's okay, you know. So anyway, nowadays with the new laws, you have to go in and give them your driver's license and you know ID. They run a background check so that you can buy ammunition. I felt like a criminal. I thought they were going to make me pee in a cup or something. That was next. So. Anyway, I felt violated. Well, not only is ammunition very expensive in California, but there's a whole bunch of stuff about how gasoline is super, super expensive in California, too. I was reading an article yesterday that the average price of gasoline in California is $4 a gallon. The average price in Texas is $2 a gallon. What's the deal? And uh, it's all about taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we did have a gas tax put on so that we could fix the roads. Well, I'm looking out at the road right out the window. It looks like it needs some fixing. Well, it's not going to happen. Yeah, something says to me not that to maybe get, that tax money's not coming to Seven Oaks Road. Not to get political, but I guess our new governor hijacked, I don't know how many billions of, or billion dollars of it, or a crazy amount of money, more than you and I will ever see, um, that gas tax money that fixed the road to do something else with it. It got diverted? I think that's what they would call it. Reappropriated is what they call it. Wow. Yeah. We used to call that stolen. Yeah. So like if I go in the refrigerator and I reappropriate my wife's... The cheesecake? Cheese piece of cheesecake, is, that's okay? It's reappropriated. Yeah. A yeah. good way to get knocked upside the head. That's what it is. But anyway. So I went to a cool connect group this week. I'm trying to get to all the connect groups. Making the rounds. These are my people. This is this is our very, very mostly Mexican Connect group, we call it, because I always hang out on the Mexican side of town, my people, and we had sopes. Ooh. Yeah. That sounds yummy. They, It is like a Mexican waffle with beans and... With beans? Meat. It's like a waffle See, thing. Waffle, waffle with beans no, and meat No, 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 no. It's like a, a waffle that kind of has a tortilla-type-ish taste, uh -huh. but it's thick. It's about a half inch thick. Yeah. Uh, and they make those. They're, they're, they're you know cooking them right there in the pan uh -huh. and then you put a little bit of beans on it and okay. then meat with onion and some other seasonings and peppers and, it's wrapped and stuff. inside no wrapping no wrapping uh you eat it kind of like you know most mexican food is the same it's just how you fold it right yeah but this is not folded and so then you put lettuce on there they had some killer hot sauce you know how some hot sauce you, you go whoa that's hot immediately and then some hot sauce you has go, a slow burn uh, you you have a yeah a little uh, you have a bite and you go man that was really tasty then about ten seconds later that's like like flaming Cheetos you ever had flaming yeah, Cheetos it's like recoil <clears throat> yeah it kicks in about thirty seconds after you eat the flaming Cheetos yeah and then you have to eat more of them or else the fire just takes over absolutely it's their way of getting you to eat the entire bag right yeah that's a now there are you know there can be definite consequences later let's not talk about that no but the sopes were great. Really enjoyed those, and uh, it was, oh man, it was terrific. We had a great time hanging out, talking, good stuff. Spectacular. Connect groups are awesome. I highly recommend people plug into a connect group if you're not in one yet. Get with how the you program. live life in connection. There you go. There you go. So last week, we had so many questions, we divided it and uh, put last week's questions on this week's yeah. podcast, and then we got a whole bunch more questions. Because I did a new series in Job, started a new series in Job. That was one of my favorite sermons of yours. Really? Yeah, I liked it. I'll try and one-up it this week. Well, there you go, man. Go for the throat, man. Let's see what I can do. You got to go for the point after touchdown. Can't just can't just go with the six points. You got to get the seventh. I was going to say go for extra. PAT, man. Why, why, why go for a Point field after goal? touchdown. There you go. Yeah, two-point conversion. There you go. Anyways, so uh, we got some questions here, um, some from last week and some from this week, and hopefully we'll get through them because we have a pretty uh, lengthy thing of questions here. All right, well, let's go. So right maybe it's good that we didn't have any news stories to there you go. derail us. Yeah, well, you know, like we really need help with that, right? No, I'm sure we'll get derailed. derailed. Okay, number one. Numero uno. What are some verses or passages that would be good to study or meditate on as I spend time with the Lord privately. 
I am Ooh. glad to hear that someone's wanting to take that time to spend some time with the Lord privately. Okay, so passages to study or meditate upon. Gosh, there's there's 66 books of all kinds of great passages. Do you have any favorites that you like to start with? Well, you know, I mean, I love Romans 5. Yeah, that's a good passage. Because we come across a lot of trials, and mm-hmm. it tells us that tests or trials bring about patience or perseverance, and perse- perseverance... Um, Character. Character. And character, then hope. Character, hope. And, and I think it's a really good four-step process to go through when you're going through something challenging to go, oh, yeah, this is supposed to end up in hope. And I think that goes along with our Job. Yeah, you know, there's some connections there. Series there. So I think that's always that's one I always go back to. I really, really uh, love. I love to read, obviously, the Psalms. Yeah. There's some great... That would be on the top of my list. Start yeah, with the Psalms and Proverbs. Yeah. And... and um, even, you know, some of those psalms are very personal with David, but they're, they, some of them totally reflect, they're very indicative of the human condition, shall right, we say. Right, the cry of the soul. Yeah, and so uh, I like that. Obviously, Psalm 23 is a favorite of people, and that's a really great one to really pick apart and dig into, mm-hmm. uh, because there's a lot there, and it can go a lot of places, and so yeah. I love that. Um, yeah, and you know, there's 31 Proverbs in many mm-hmm. months. There are 31 days. So I know a lot of people who take a proverb a day and mm-hmm. just, they start every month on, you know, first day of the month, they start with Proverbs 1 and they just work their way through the Proverbs. And uh, I think that's not a get, not a bad way to go. Well, the great thing about Proverbs is there's so much, there's truth there. Yeah. And as you meditate on that truth, the realities of life, you start to process those in a biblical way. And there's hope in that when mm-hmm. you see that, you know, Wow, there's a truth there. And uh, when we're walking near to the Lord especially, truth is very comforting because it's solid. It's right. And God, if it, it, one of his characteristics, he, he is truth. He is truth, yeah. He is truth. So uh, those are some great ones to do. Uh, do you have a favorite commentary or book you ever pick up when you're wanting to just kind of read through some things and be encouraged? Like devotional type thing? Yeah. Well, I have this little, it's just a verse devotional called um, Daily Light mm-hmm. by Baxter. Okay. And uh, The Baxter? I guess so. Yeah. Wow. Samuel Baxter, actually. Okay. I think it was. And, <laughs> pardon me, he has a morning and an evening reading, and it's just uh, readings of Scripture. So it's just passages that he's taken from various places and put them together, and they mm-hmm. have kind of a cohesive theme. And I, I find that to be really good. Um, I You know, I, I do like... Um, Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. That's a good. great devotional. Yeah. But when it comes to kind of just meditating on the scriptures, one of the things that I've done over the years is I'll, I'll take a psalm, like the two that come to my mind that I've actually spent a lot of time thinking through, meditating through, are Psalm 63 and Psalm 67. Those are two of my favorite psalms. And uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll use my little voice recorder on my phone, mm-hmm. and I'll record myself just reading through it, mm-hmm. and then I'll listen to that a whole bunch while I'm driving around and and, uh, and just memorize the entire six, eight verses, however long it is. Mm-hmm. And then just spend some time over like several weeks just meditating upon those verses as I memorize it, thinking about it, turning it over in your mind. And uh, I find that you really start to find some, some important nuggets of truth and about the nature of God and the way he works in those, in those meditations. Really helpful. You know, in one of those, I think it's Psalm 63, where David talks about, meditating in the night seasons while he's on his bed, mm-hmm. just thinking upon, upon the Lord. And, and I'm one of those people that has a difficult time falling asleep, so uh, I can identify with just kind of meditating upon the Word of God while I'm lying upon my bed, having a hard time falling asleep. I'm trying to think. Let your gentleness be known to all men for... Man, those scriptures are escaping me right now. That drives oh. me insane. Now, I'm going to think of it in a minute. Anyway, hmm. uh, once in a while, the Lord will give me a scripture, and it's something I'm supposed to just spend some time on. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Yes, that's it. And I just remember that verse sticking out uh-huh. uh, one time for me and with me, and it was just a time when the Lord was showing me how to walk in that way because I was going to go through a season, and that's what he required of me. That was... That was something that was going to be important. It was going to be a best practice for a season. I mean, it's always a good practice, but for me, I'm not always as gentle as I could be. No. I tend to tell the truth in love, but I tend to tell the truth. But sometimes you need to hold that truth back. And so 
it was a that was a season. So yeah, something that measure truth out in doses. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, right after that verse, that uh, let your gentleness be known to all. Mm -hmm. The Lord is at hand. There's another really important consideration in the the very next verse because that's in Philippians four, and it says, "Be anxious for nothing." Yes. But in all things, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then Paul tells us some things that we should um, set our minds on, which is meditation. Yep. So he says those things that are true and noble and just and pure and lovely and of good report. Think on those things. Those things that are virtuous. Meditate on these things. So that's a good place to meditate. My first day at Maranatha Chapel, that was on my desk. Right on, yeah. Left there. Uh do not be weary in doing good, especially to those of the house of the Lord, for in due course you shall reap. Galatians. It's another verse that um, I believe is 4 7, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times that I'm definitely encouraged to just meditate and think on that verse. I think it's also a, it's a good verse for everybody, but also just being in the ministry. Uh, you don't want to grow worry weary of the work as it is said you said before you go weary weary in the work in but the work but not the, of the work not of the work that's right that's yeah. a spurgeon quote yeah that's a great quote it's a great quote so yes those are some i tell you one thing that's really been a big help to others and even my own family personally is i love streams in the desert yeah i, I think you've given that away to a lot of people too right yeah so yeah. um there's people sometimes that they'll be going through a particularly really hard spot, typically the death of a loved one. And I've just seen that be something that's very comforting to people to have that. It's easy to pick up every day. There's commentary on it. Um, I like to buy, uh, my wife will do this. She's more thorough than I am, but uh, maybe buy old used copies. Cause like from the forties or fifties, these old ones. Uh, and what's neat about buying these used copies and giving them to people is sometimes there's notes from other people in there and that it think it's really cool to think that that those scriptures and those thoughts have passed on and it was actually written by is it cowan and it's a gal mm. who, who wrote it and i think one of the neat things about that is uh i think they did 1500 copies in the beginning uh-huh and meeting with the publisher he had basically said well this has run its course now we'll just let it go and i, I want to say they well over a million copies of this book have gone out so uh, evidently, it had not run its course at 1,500 copies. I guess so. not. And in all of these, for those who are listening to the podcast, they obviously have an internet connection. All of these are available for free online. Absolutely. My utmost for his highest, Streams in the Desert, yep. Daily Light. Each they'll, one of these are available. They'll send them to your phone, right? Every yeah, day. Yeah, you, can. you don't even have to do anything. That's right. So we have no excuse to be lame and discouraged. Right. Meditate upon the scriptures. Wait upon the Lord. That kind of leads right into the second question, I think. All right. Do you practice any form of Sabbath and how? You know, I'd love for you to define what Sabbath is. Let's 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 talk about what Sabbath is. Sabbath is a day of rest. Okay. Seven or six days did the Lord work, and the seventh he rested, and then he gives us a uh, a command to rest. And uh, and I personally think that it's not just a command to rest, but it's a command to work because the command in the Ten Commandments. It says six days shall you work, and the seventh is a day of rest unto the Lord. So uh, it's a it's a command to work and to rest. And so I think that yeah, we the principle of Sabbath is very very important. I think uh, so. I do think that it's a necessity, and um, I find that more and more I I find that to be important a time of rest. But um, I I would have to say that I'm not the best at rest. <laughs> I, it's funny because my wife and I were actually talking about. She didn't send this question, and we were talking about this the other day, Sabbath. Yeah, and I'm like, I I suck at that. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, our culture is not geared towards rest very well. Yeah, I, it's yeah, and I think there's also a little bit of latitude is what we find restful. Yeah. Um, you know, I I'm it's very restful for me to go out in the garage and create something, to weld something, or to build something, and it appears like work. But for me, it's how I decompress. Hmm. But um, I think the principle of Sabbath, uh, a day of rest where you're not doing any, you know, work for right. the necessity of life, right. um, and then to spend some time considering the Lord, meditating upon Him, is right. an important aspect of that. And I think that both the issues of, well, all three of these things, work, rest, and recreation, are important things. And you know, 
we do see people who don't take that time of rest that it catches up with them. Right. And, you know, when you, when you meet someone who's experiencing a burnout, um, you know, people in a work environment experience that, people in a ministry environment experience that, people just in an American context experience that. You know, we are known in a lot of other places for being uh, uh, workaholics, Americans. Right, right. And then there's the flip side of the coin. Yeah. That I like you'd brought up was, uh, you know, you need to work. Yeah, there's some people who, who got the rest thing down. They got it nailed. But they need to work, maybe. Yeah, they rest enough for both you and I. Yeah. So do you think it could we could do like a profit-sharing thing on that or like buying mitigated property when they need to, you know, people buy property to mitigate, you know, oh, environmental so concerns? Do you think we so can get can, that? they can take some of our rest and we'll take some of their yeah, work? Yeah, we'll sell them some. I don't think that's a good idea. sell them some of their lazy stuff. They you know, God, God, when Israel did not allow the land to rest, yeah, they spent some time in the in the in the corner. God kept an account. Yes, of he how did. How much time they did not to the allow day. the land to rest, and he right. made them cause the land to rest. Was that four hundred and seventy years? Well, they were seventy years that they that they were in exile from the land. Right, so it was right. four hundred ninety years that they did not allow the land right. to rest. And God says, "So um, we're gonna we're gonna make good on that." Yeah, the principle of rest is very important. Yeah, pay attention. So so yes. yeah, so I do feel it's a necessity, but um. I probably need to work on that because not the best at rest. Okay, so how do you Sabbath? Because that's part of the question. How do I Sabbath? Yeah, personally. Well, like I said, I'm not very good at that. Okay. Yeah, I'm a little convicted right now. All right, well, you know. Because, see, I'm in this season right now. You know, life, we talked about this a few weeks ago. I think life goes in seasons. I'm in a season right now that that doesn't uh, allow for quite as much rest as I would maybe like it to. Yeah, I think you got to fight for it. You do, I agree. Well, some people think I just spent two and a half weeks resting, but I had 113 people that I had to <laughs> make sure we were. Yeah, the, doing the shepherd. You were being a shepherd. Yeah, I was trying to be. Yeah, yeah, I I remember the last trip I took to Israel on a tour, tour, yeah. tour, and I had 35 people on the bus, mm-hmm. and I had to count them every time. Yeah, so did the, you give them a number and they had to count them out loud? No, we did. We, we did just that. counted, and then people thought they were funny. They would go behind the seat and stuff. Ah, and I'll tell you, by the end of the seven days. I get on the bus and I just say, hey, if you're not here and you get left behind. Yeah. Uh, well, it's not a bad place to be left behind. Yeah. It? No, not bad. But you know what was really nice about this trip? The bus that we were on, both days that we were on buses, mm-hmm. we had just enough seats for every person in our group. Perfect. So all I had to look for was an empty seat. If I saw an empty seat, I went, oh, we're missing somebody. Yeah. It was great. See that you was later. very helpful. I, so I made them all count out loud. So they'd start in the back of the bus with one and I'd listen to them all count. And it's funny to see like people like forget their number after like 10 minutes. So we got to work on it. Oh, well. Uh, how do I Sabbath? How do you Sabbath? I Sabbath. You just told us, working on something in the garage. Yeah, well, I work on something on the garage, or sometimes I'm out, you know, hunting or riding yeah. my mountain bike. Or well, I will say that... Out on the ocean. My my kind of time by myself lately has been running. Oh, that's good. That's not exactly resting, though. No. 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 But it has been good, because no one wants to go run seven miles with me. So... Yeah. So... I don't get bothered. I, I feel like, you know, like I couldn't put this in cement, but just as a kind of an outline and a handy hint for myself, when I'm Sabbath, I really, I know when I'm rested. Yeah. If I'm doing an activity that opens up a little bit more of a conduit for me to hear from the Lord or to be able to just pour my heart out to the Lord, things like that. And so typically for me, those things happen in nature. If I'm at the beach, I'm in the, in the mountains, I'm riding my mountain bike, I'm out hunting, um, I'm creating something, uh, working on something, uh, you know, fun working, not weeding or, you know, doing something like that, but just doing something that, you know, I'm creative and, and this and that. That's tends to be where I'm really communicating with the Lord and talking back and forth, so to speak. So that's a, that's very Sabbath-y to me. Shabbat. Shabbat. And then there's the Shabbat Shabbat, which the rules for Sabbath, if we're going to get into the Levitical stuff, are crazy. It's pretty fascinating when you're in the Galilee region and you pass by a very kind of Orthodox Jewish neighborhood in the Galilee region. They have these poles with a line. Looks like almost like it could be a little power line or something, but it's not. Do not go past. They have these little poles with this line all the way around the village. And that, that sets for the people, the boundaries for a Sabbath day's journey. They're not not able to walk beyond that. Right. According to the rules of Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a lot of Jewish friends growing up in high school. So yeah. they couldn't, some of them couldn't go do anything on the Sabbath. 
Yeah. We had to hang you're out at allowed to house. start a car because that's kindling a fire. Right. So, right. but. You're not allowed to turn to... on a light switch. That's kindling a fire. Right. Some could, though. I forget how that worked. Well, the not if so I observant drove. ones. If I drove. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, you Gentile, you can drive. Yeah, the Gentile chauffeur, that's me. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, I was Uber before there was Uber. I was Goober. There you go, man. Yeah, there you go. All yeah. right, so that's that's it. Sounds good. Um, three, Jacob clearly, it said lived, but I think they meant loved. Loved. Joseph more. This it, goes to Pastor Jason's message. He, yes. he did the epic message on the story of Joseph. Yeah, like 30 chapters or something. It was crazy. It was great. So, is favoritism bad in families? Well, it... It certainly wasn't helpful in that situation. No. And and Jacob, Joseph's dad, not only did he have a favorite kid, he had a favorite wife. So that didn't work out very well either. Yeah. So, yeah. I have four kids. Each one of them is my favorite. So I have a favorite 11-year-old. He turns 11 tomorrow. Wow. And then I have a favorite 10-year-old. I have a favorite 7-year-old and a favorite 6-year-old. So I don't know. What do you think about favoritism? Yeah, in, in Jacob's case, didn't seem to work out so well. Yeah, I think it, with, with kids, yeah. there are definitely, there are different things that I share in common with my different children that I don't necessarily share in all of them. So like, uh, so I think at times, if you're not careful, it, depending what season you're in, it can seem like one's your favorite. Uh, I mean, Kids, if you're trying to be my favorite, I always like the point of least resistance, the least problems. That that can that can really lead to favoritism. But no, I think that there's people you get along with better than others. Let's be honest. Cross connection's my favorite. There you go. And so um, there are times there are some kids I think you click with and are easier to manage than others. Uh, they're usually the one that's most like your spouse, I think, because the one like you is the one probably you don't get. That you butt with. heads with most. Yeah, probably. You All know, my kids yeah. are like me. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. But uh, no, it's wife. not a good idea to play favorites. Mm-mm. Really bad idea. Don't go public on that. Um, I'm not a big fan of trying to keep everything fair. Fairness is very subjective. Yeah. But. I mean, my kids, they always, it, there's not a week that goes by that one of them doesn't claim the fair card the unfair card at some point and what do we tell them life is not fair yes life but is where hard. i often say life is hard yeah uh it's so funny so one of my kids evangeline she called me over to the tv yesterday she wanted to show me something on the show she was watching that reminded her of her dad so she rewound to this little part was it, was it batman no no the dad said to the kid Life isn't fair. And she stopped it right there and looked at me and she just said, that's what you say. I said, my goodness, you know me well, child. Right. You just used your Batman voice. Do you talk to your kids in your Batman voice? I'm Batman. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. 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 So, you know. That's the truth. So, yes, don't do that with your kids. I think it's a bad idea. Now, I saw a bumper sticker once in our parking lot of all places, and it said, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. I've seen that one. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. I beg to differ. Yeah. But it was now, not on my car. Okay. But favoritism, yes. bad in families. I think it's really good to reward great God honoring behavior and to not reward wrongousness. Wrongousness. There you go so, with that word you know, again. Yeah. So it's not you know, a word. That's a not side a word. Note. Yeah. Okay. Do you think, I think we answered that. Right? This is another Joseph question. Yes. Do you think Joseph was being malicious slash divisive when he told on his brothers and told them his dreams? No. Well. Oh, that was your answer? No. My answer, my answer is no, yes. I, I think he was being honest. Right. I, he had the gift of administration. And one of the things you want to see in, in administrators is they, you need honesty. And you need wisdom, which it took him a while to learn wisdom. And yes, discretion. he was young; he was seventeen. Right? Yeah, you know, yeah. So he needed to learn tact and and wisdom on when to. Well, let's just be this. really honest. At seventeen, who knows anything? I didn't have any wisdom or discretion. No, my brain didn't gel till I was thirty. You there's know, the some arguments that it never did. The proverbs that you should meditate upon. They say that there's foolishness bound up in the heart of a child. There you go. And I, yeah, that's true. I had some of that. Right. I hope that it's been driven far from me. But, my, you know, my parents sure tried to make sure it got driven far from me. There you go. The rod of, of correction, correction drives you know, it far from me. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, I don't think he was trying to be malicious or divisive, but he he was he was being honest when he was quote telling on his brothers because they were not doing things that were right. But um, yeah, you know, sometimes being candid, frank, honest, it needs to be balanced with wisdom and discretion. Correct. Right. And you ask yourself those questions. Hey, is this going to help? Is this going to hurt? Because maybe you've met the person. I've met this person where it's like, I'm just being honest. I'm just being truthful. I got to speak the truth. But it's like, yeah, but you're also being a jerk. Right. So so let's work on the the wisdom, discretion, tact. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's try to construct. Got to speak the truth. Yes. Yes, you do. Yeah. But the other side of it is that kind of guy. Yeah. When you turn around and you start. He gets thrown in a pit. Right, but you you start to speak the truth to them, mm. they can't handle the right, truth. Right, that's right. They get all crazy. Good job, Mr. Nicholson. Yes. So, all right, so I think we answered that. Yeah. I know we answered that. So he could have been a little more tactful, but uh, God used it all. Yeah, in so the end, God had he, a plan. He definitely had a gift. He was just getting a handle on it. So, okay, what do pastors do when they're struggling with sin how do they know when it's time to step I down think you from skipped ministry? One. No, didn't we? Oh, I'm sorry. We'll come to that. D- one. Does God divinely allow families to bring people slash the nations famines, not famines. Famines. Oh, famines. I'm sorry. I'm looking there. Okay, famines to bring people. We got to get those eyeglasses. Then I am actually got an appointment to get my oh, new eyeglasses. Look at that. So I've got progressives, and so if I move my head at oh, all, oh yeah, I was having a little trouble on the archery range the other day. I was seeing like three targets. So it's time for some new glasses. That could be challenging. Well, because the progressive part, yeah, when yeah, you they tilt change. your head back, yeah. and all of a sudden you're, you know, looks, you know, it was a Tweety Bird. Now it's Rodan flying, attacking mm. Godzilla. So you got to watch it. Okay, okay number five. So does, does, uh, God... does God divinely allow famines to bring people slash the nations back to Him? I would say yes. Well, yeah, I mean, you could make the case from Scripture, but I think you got to be careful how we we can't just make a blanket statement like every time there's a famine in the world doesn't mean that God is directly trying to no, know, I just cause mean something. In some instances. Yeah, in some instances. Or maybe better said, in some I mean, instances, as God has allowed this, people come back to him. Right. Families come back to him. I mean, there was a time, even in our own country, when something devastating or bad would happen, earthquake, you know, big storm, tornado, something like that, and people would consider... Does God have something he wants to teach me from this? Which is probably not a bad consideration. Right. Well, when you're especially when you're witnessing these things, the insurance company labels as an act of acts God. of God. Right. People with no explanation, they start to consider, oh, yeah, there is a there is a creator out there somewhere. So yeah. I don't think God created it. We're going to talk a little bit about this yeah. as we continue in our Job study, because yeah. this goes to something that was very much a a big part of ancient Near Eastern culture and literature. Right. Uh, called the law of retribution, right? And um, and you see it throughout scriptures. And you know, if you lived in the east, the far east, mm-hmm. you might call it karma, right? If you look at a New Testament principle, you'd say the law of sowing and reaping. Um, but in the Old Testament, they would refer to it as the law of retribution. So kind of like a you know, you get back what you put in, sort of thing. And certainly mm-hmm. in the book of Deuteronomy, God did tell the children of Israel. If you depart from me and you do not obey my right. laws, then you're going to reap famines. You're going to reap all kinds of right. these consequences. Right. So there is a sense in which, yes, sometimes famines do bring people, nations back to the Lord. But I also think it's worth noting that, you know, earthquakes, famines, pestilence, a good good old word there. In many places. Th- these things are a regular part of a broken world. Right. You know, so... Right. God can use them. He can use any form of suffering to bring people back to him, to shake people up. I mean, we've seen that in people's lives before. Absolutely. I I mean, there have been many people over the years that I've met, they came to church because a marriage fell apart, Mm -hmm. or they got a bad diagnosis, Mm -hmm. or they lost a job and they lost a house, or, you know, difficult things like that. And they point to that suffering as the, the thing that God used to bring them back. That's praise the Lord. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, I think, and people can take the whole cause and effect thing way to yeah. to the point of superstition. Uh huh. But um, I, you know, but you, I'm sure you've met the person that they are just living like hell and getting away with Psalm, murder. Psalm seventy three. Everything seems to be going well for the unrighteous. Yeah. Well, how long will the wicked rage, the right. heathen rage, Lord? And um, uh, 
you know, in my conversations with them, I'm like, man, I'd be more worried that nothing's happened yet. Yet. I, yeah. I, I, you know, you, you just, it keeps ramping up. But um, I think the Lord definitely uses trials in people's life. Uh, I'm going to throw the Romans 5 thing out there again to shape their character and their hope and to realign them sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I don't think just because you got cancer, you did something wrong either, though. Well, we're going to talk about that too. I mean, we've already looked at the opening words of Job. Right. And we know that God's assessment of Job was that he's righteous. Right. And then he suffers. So righteous people suffer. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be that they're getting what they uh, deserve, you know? I don't know that you could make the case that, man, Job sure deserved that. Well, no. I mean, he's a righteous guy. Yeah. God said so. Lots of things to consider. Yeah. But I think there definitely, we can say in certain instances. There are times. That famines, whether it be figurative or literally in people's lives. Yeah. Bring them back to the Lord. Absolutely. And God uses it to the glory. Yeah. So I'm going with that. Yes. I'm saying C, a big yes. A yes and a no. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number six. Six. What do pastors do when they're struggling with sin? How do they know when it's time to step down from ministry to deal with it? Or what should they do? Kind of vague, but there's some examples. Let's begin with the fact that every pastor sins because pastors are just people, and people sin. They're sinners just like every other person. Uh, So the question is really, you know, not... You know, do pastors struggle with sin? Because yes, they do. The issue is, is the sin a disqualifying sin? Right, as mentioned in Timothy and in Titus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what would be disqualifying sins? Uh, obviously, there's disagreements among different churches and leaders within churches as to what disqualifies a person from being um, in the ministry. But one of the big ones that would certainly come to mind, I think it's probably the first that comes to your mind, would be infidelity in marriage, adultery. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's the one we hear about. Oftentimes, yeah. yeah. Oftentimes, yeah. that's the one we hear about. That's that makes the big headline. So, that, right, right. So, um, I think the Bible's pretty specific on how we should raise our kids and families, and like you know, in our in our relationship with our wives. I think those are some basics. Um, what do they do when they're struggling with sin? I I I really think it's important for pastors to have somebody they can talk to. Yeah, I think it's important for pastors to have people in their lives that can speak into their lives that are godly men that can speak into their lives and say, Hey, Mark, this is looking like this and this and this. I've noticed a change in your attitude. This what's going on. Yeah. And we, they have that permission and they have that trust that they can do that. So I think it's good to be around good counselors. I think it's really, really important. And, uh, I think the challenge is, and this is perhaps one of the reasons that you know, a lot of times when we hear about the pastor who has sinned and has been, you know, removed from the ministry, removed right. from his church, sometimes that's because the church with in which that pastor serves, um, they are not doing a good job of providing what you're talking about. Correct. And so you have kind of an adversarial position where this person who's struggling with sin, with which maybe at the beginning was not right, not disqualifying, right. But because they're fearful that if they bring it up to anybody, they're going to lose their job, it doesn't get brought up until it just escalates and escalates. And we, you know, just like the scriptures say, sin is like leaven, and a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. And so it spreads, it gets worse. And um, so there have been times where I think that there are guys who, they, they, may, they may have been able to survive the, the creep of sin in their life if there had been some early repentance and some, some sanctification and some growth. But the environment that they were a part of within the church didn't have a gracious attitude towards that person. I'm not, I'm not speaking about our church in any way, but I, I've seen this in some churches before, and it's unfortunate. Well, and then the other position, you have the, the, um, the pastor that is all-powerful, and nobody yeah. can talk to them. Right. Nobody can offer any criticism. Um, they don't really have, they, they're not having any contact with the people. Um, it's fascinating yeah. because this... This has happened a number of times over the last five or so years, and not in an area of infidelity, um, but in an area like what you're describing where a pastor has maybe too much power and and ends up just kind of walking all over people. Yeah, being a jerk. Yeah, being a jerk. And what's really fascinating to me about this, there's some well-known in pastor circles names. You know, one of them is a guy named Mark Driscoll who pastors a church now in the the, uh, Scottsdale, Phoenix area. Another is a guy named Darren Patrick who is a pastor of a church um, out in the Midwest somewhere. 
But what's fascinating to me is that these guys were in uh, what are traditionally seen as Reformed churches or right. Calvinistic churches. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these churches, they they really highly value grace. They talk about the doctrines of grace. Right. Until <laughs> one of their own, right. one of their pastors, ends up, you know, getting outed for sin, and then they just pile on judgment like you can't imagine on these guys. They're not very gracious. So it's like they kind of intellectually knew about grace, but they didn't experientially know how to apply it. And so some things went on too long until it became a big issue, a disqualifying issue, and didn't get dealt with early on with grace. And um, to bring about some some sanctification and transformation in people. So I think it's important to recognize that pastors are people who are sinners, who are called by God to serve the Lord, and God is still working a work of sanctification in them, and hopefully there is a continual transformation that they're becoming more and more like Jesus. The problem is, is sometimes they get into a lofty sort of, you know, higher-than-thou pedestal position. And they think they are Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> and there's, bit, yeah. There's, there's no continual—well, there's very little continued sanctification. It becomes a real problem in the long run. Right. And I think also just on a, a, a level— um, I think it's important when you're in ministry. Um, there's a tremendous responsibility there, and I, I'm a I'm I'm really big on uh, the, the spending time, uh, self confrontation. Yeah, spending time just why are you doing this? Remove what the plank you from your own eye. Yeah, just to just to look and just say, hey, in that that David's prayer, man, search my heart, and he knew there were some wicked ways in him, right? Yeah. But I think to say that prayer and to be to be consistent, to always be checking in with the Lord on those things, I I think what happens to a lot of guys is is they just kind of just get in this path and then that happens. So I would say consistent reading of the word. Yeah. Consistent time alone with the Lord is a good way to stay out of trouble. Um have people around you that are good counselors that can speak hard truths into your life but do it graciously. And uh, accountability is another one. Uh, I think it's really important. Um, I know some senior pastors that talk to none of their staff. Like me. Oh, get out of here. I'm kidding. Yeah, we're hanging out. But I mean, you know, we all have the ability to speak into one another's lives, and I yeah. think that's really good in a way that... There's iron sharpening iron going on here, that's for Yeah, sure. and nobody's getting hurt, and, you know, I'm not talking to you anymore, and, you know, this and that. It just It's being realistic. The only time we ever really talk is on the podcast. That's true. Pretty they much. come in here. Yeah. Um, and how do they know it's time to step down from ministry or, and, and deal with it? Uh, or what should they do? I'd say the part of that is um, a lot of times, unfortunately, it's your board or somebody else is telling you to do that. I think when it definitely becomes a struggle that's, you know, penetrating your life and affecting the ministry or has the potential to blow up and definitely to discourage a lot I, of people. I won't use any names, but I do know a couple of pastors that come to mind, friends of mine, who um, I remember one was having a struggle in his family and in his life, and, and I don't think it was a disqualifying situation. Mm-hmm. But he went to the pastors, the leaders, elders of his church that he pastored, and he, he said, if this is something you feel I need to step aside for, um, I'll do that. And they all said, no, we don't think so. Maybe you take a break. So he took a little bit of time off. But so, you know, I think having the self-awareness mm-hmm. to be able to do that and the the kind of relationship that you're describing with the leaders, that that's an opportunity that's available. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. important. No, so it's good. That, I think that's, that's it. And most of these things are crossover to you guys out there that have families. Yeah. You're in a pastoral position. So it's not just us, buddy. Yeah. So remember that. Um, it's, we have the, you have many it is a challenge, though, because, I mean, there's very few vocations where your conduct, your character, on sometimes not necessarily major things, makes it that you can't work anymore. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it used it. to be within politics, if you, you know, failed morally, it kind of ruined your your life, but we know that hasn't been the case since kind of the late eight, late nineties. Yeah, I was going to say. I think it, yeah. nowadays it bumps your street cred or something. I don't, yeah, know. I don't know. But you know, but might... definitely within the the ministry, it's like if you're if you have a moral failure, and I'm not just talking about adultery, but I mean if there's some other lapse, right? Then it's kind of like, well, you're done. Yeah, you're done. And uh, unfortunately, I think that that causes some guys to try and hide things that shouldn't be hidden. Right. And um, and then it becomes a, a much bigger problem, whereas it could have been dealt with earlier on. Yeah, and I think, um, well, check what Pastor Chuck used to say. God's more interested in the minister than the ministry. Hmm. 
and we know that ministry goes on and on, but uh, it starts many times with a minister, and that minister's got to be okay. It's got to be in the right place. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a hard thing. It's a tremendous responsibility. But, and I know people who have had struggles, mm-hmm. uh, friends, yeah, and they were in the ministry, and their lives changed overnight and embarrassing, obviously, to their families. And some of these guys never recovered. It's unfortunate. Never recovered. Yeah. And uh, it's, yeah, it's a bummer. Catastrophic. So be mindful. But yeah. And, and gr- exercise grace. Yeah. I, I think grace, grace is, is very important. Grace is huge. Grace is huge. And I'm not just saying that as a pastor in the ministry, I think just as a Christian, grace is exceedingly important. Well, and I was, as Christians, I think we can then really jump up and down and really get hot about sins in other people's lives that we don't struggle with. Right. And those are the ones we are the toughest on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, you talk about something that we're struggling with, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, well hang on a do second. Do unto others as you would have do them, them do unto, unto you. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. So good policy. Yeah, I'm with that. Good policy. Next. Okay. Um, are there other places in the Bible where Satan is not the devil, but rather a messenger of God to test his servants' motivations? Question mark. And how do you decipher it if it is Satan? or one of God's servants while reading the Bible. So this goes to the message from this last Sunday in the book of Job. And uh, I was speaking about this individual, this character that shows up in Job 1 and 2 that's referred to as the Satan. Uh, That's how it appears in the Hebrew text. And that there's a commentator that uh, I quoted from named David Kleins, who uh, he holds that the Satan in Job is not the devil as we think of him, but that he is like I made this point, a messenger of God to test his servant's motivation. So this is where the question is coming from. Now, this was brought about because he was saying this, this being a poetic book. Right. He was saying... And that, the the time in which the genre of time it was right. written. So this is almost like in a parable type form, even though it's not yeah. a parable. But there is a situation and a story that most people of the day would understand because right. there were certain positions in the king's court. Right. So if you were to say a jester... We would know what that was. Right. Right. Because we know about that in a king's court. So this, you're saying there was a position there, the accuser or the Satan, that was there kind of a... a devil's advocate. A devil's advocate. So almost like part of his PR department. Yeah. To, to make sure that the, the sovereign, God in this instance, mm-hmm. that um, he's not going to get himself into trouble. Now, I understand people have a really hard time with this interpretation of Job. I'm perfectly fine with that. That's why I made the point in each of the services on Sunday that... If you hold a different view on who Satan is in Job chapter 1 and 2, I'm perfectly fine with that. I'm just, I'm submitting an alternate reading of the text because I, I personally think that it, it, uh, it, it's, it kind of guards the nature of God a little bit better than the alternate, the other reading of the text. But anyways, um, so the question here is, if that's true, that this is not the devil necessarily, but this person within the king's court, um, then how do we decipher if it is Satan or the devil in other passages of the Bible? Well, you have to read things in context. You have to study systematically and read things in context and understand the genre of what you're reading and the time in which it was written. Right. Because when when Job was written, which there are some people who believe that it's a two thousand or a four thousand year old story, that there was no such thing as a character with horns and a you know you know a forked tongue and red body and black little eyes with a pitchfork that that picture of the devil that we have it's a a medieval or renaissance sort of idealized view of of the devil and it's not something that we find in scripture so we have to go back and figure what was the what the writer of this at the time i'm I'm sorry just something a thought monkey yeah as david as uh dennis keating called yeah dennis keating called uh, uh, I'm like, where did we get the picture of Jesus? Did we get a photograph? Did he have a driver's <laughs> license? What was the deal? Do you remember Gail Irwin? Yeah. Uh, Gail was telling a story one time, and he was saying that he used to do this trip. You know, they do an Israel trip, yeah. and, and oftentimes they would stop for their layover in, in, in London. And to kind of help people acclimate to the time, they'd stay a night in London, and they'd do a little brief tour of some of the sites in mm-hmm. London. And it, he took a group of people, he would take them to the tower in London, which is right near the Tower Bridge. And uh, this kind of cool castle, the tower in London, is a pretty neat place. And he would stop them before they would go into this one room. And he says, listen, when we go in this next room, there's going to be a piece of art in here. 
and uh, it's probably going to stick out to you. And I, I want you guys to gather around it and we'll talk about it. And he does kind of all he said to them. So everybody would go in there and ultimately they'd end up around this statue there that looked like the modern depiction of Jesus. But really it was a statue of Zeus. But it had that exact look that we all think, well, oh, look, look yeah. there's the American Jesus kind of thing, you know, the European Jesus. Blue-eyed so, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, he probably didn't look like that. Kind of had a Mediterranean Semitic look to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Blue so, eyes, probably not. Flowing long blonde hair, probably not. No, not the Fabio Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, we have these we have these cultural images of things from the Bible in our minds that don't look anything like the reality. It's just like when we take people to Israel and they have a picture in their brain of what the Sea of Galilee looks like or the picture in their brain of what Jerusalem looks like. And they get there and they go, yeah, there's nothing like what I thought. People are always surprised by how small the Sea of Galilee is or how close right. everything is together and just doesn't fit with their well, their view. So the same thing with the Satans. But in answering the questions, you know, how do we know when we're reading through the scriptures and we come to this individual that is Satan or the devil, how do we know if it is like what I'm proposing or something different? Well, we just have to read the text very carefully and rightly divide the word of truth and, you know, consider what commentary says, what scholars have written on the text. The Bible is the most studied book of all the world. And um, there are volumes upon volumes upon volumes of very good scholarship of studies about it for right. 2,000 years. And kind of an important side note that came in this too, because I had actually had my mom go, well, you know, I was reading the commentary section in... Of my study Bible? The New King Jimmy study Bible you gave me. Yeah. And it says this and this and this. And I right. said, you know, that's the commentary section. Right. So that's not the Word of God. It's a commentary on the Word of God. And I think we have to realize that different schools of thought and actually different schools or universities. Well, I had several, I had several yeah. good friends here at Cross Connection yeah. tell me after the fact, well, you know, David Guzik doesn't agree with you. I was like, well, David Guzik's my friend and we've never even talked about this before. Um, but, you know, it's okay. I don't, David and I probably don't agree on a number of things. We agree on most things though. Yeah. Yep. The important stuff. The important stuff. I know he likes a good steak ranchero. Really? Yeah. I don't think I've that, had steak ranchero. That's his, that's his favorite Mexican. That's how he judges the Mexican. I know he likes creme brulee. Really? Because he pretty much got that a lot on our cruise. He likes the creme brulee. Well, there you go, man. There Anybody go. who likes creme brulee can be a friend of mine, that's for sure. There you go. I right. like creme brulee. Man, I love it when Julia Child hit it with the torch. That's what made it good. The torch is what makes the whole thing oh, fun. It, yeah. It's, yeah it's, anytime, anytime, you had, can, anytime you can use fire on your dessert, yeah, uh, it's, I'm it, down. It, yeah, it's, the, it's glorious. <laughs> okay, number eight. Okay, are there other places in the Bible where Satan is not... No, we just did that one. Yeah, okay, now let's see. Number eight. Oh, sorry. Wouldn't God already know if Job is faithful to him because God is omniscient with a question mark? Again, this is one of those, this is one of those disputed conversations in Christianity. Um, there are different views on the knowledge of God, which can be really challenging to people. Um, there's a view that I do not ascribe to called the open view of God or open theism that holds that God does not know the future. I don't agree with that, but that's a view and that's a widely held view that is some people even scripturally support it. And then you have a very strong, what we'd call reformed view on the omniscience of God that is borderline deterministic, that God knows everything because he forces it to happen that way, which I also have a really hard time with that. Uh, Because if God knows everything in the future because he made it that way, he determined that it would be that way, then you could make the case, and I think strong cases have been made, that that means that God is the author of sin. And that could be a real problem against the nature of God. And then there's, there's views in between those two end points on a spectrum all the way across, from the open view to the very reformed omniscient view. There are points on the spectrum everywhere from the, the middle knowledge of God and all these different ideas on the knowledge of God. So, yes, there is a way to read the text where you go, well, yeah, God knows exactly what Job's going to do because God is omniscient. But God, as he's revealed in the book of Job, there is the picture in Job where it's like, well, God's kind of waiting to see too. Let's let's test it out. See if Job does buckle under the pressure of the test. Well, because Job had free will. Right. We got to be honest about that. Again, this is this the issue of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and free will. These are long discussed issues that... People have, unfortunately, people have divided fellowship over them. I think that's a not a good plan. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think if you did a poll of people at Cross Connection Church, you'd find a lot of people 
lean towards the strong, omniscient view of God, but you'd find there's a lot of other people that they have different views. And uh, I think we fellowship pretty well together, even though we have different views on this. But yeah, there is there is one perspective that would say, well, God knew exactly what Job was going to do in that situation, and that's why he could speak so boldly about Job. Hey, that's a good good possible interpretation of the text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't uh, argue with it. Not that yeah, much. I, w- I always like to look at the practicality of any situation in the, the, the Bible. And so uh, I could make the point that Maybe God knew that Job would get through it, but maybe right. Job didn't know. Right. So um, certainly as part of the going down the whole track is, you know, these trials and tribulations in our lives are for our refining and to draw us closer to the Lord. And as an example to others also, I mean, I'm really glad that they wrote David's mistakes down and Saul's mistakes down. I'm glad they don't write ours down. Man. But I mean, you know, we're going to see as we continue our series through Job, Job does really good in Job chapter 1 and 2, mm-hmm. and then he gets himself into some hot water when we get into chapter 3 and on, Yeah, to the point that God confronts Job. You know, Job Job wants to confront God, and in the end, God confronts Job. Right. And so, so you know, he does a really good job in it for the most part, but there's some areas where uh, he gets himself into some hot water. There, You know, one of my favorite parts of that whole exchange. Where were you? Yeah. yeah. Where were you when I created everything, Kinda, Job? Can we say that God was being, what, sarcastic? Or what, what would we call that? Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. he was being did very you, forceful with did Job. You put a hook did, you put, did you put all the stuff in the sky, all those stars up there? Just wondering. Yeah. Just wondering. Do you Leviathan. know how much the continents weigh? Yeah. Let's talk yeah. about Leviathan. Let, yeah. let, let, just, the, the, oh. Oh, you didn't do that, did yeah. you? Yeah, and then in the end, as we're going to see, Job kind of says, well, I spoke too quickly. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And he was a righteous guy. Right. So, right. yeah, I, I, I really love that part of Job. It's a great book. We'll get there. Okay. So, um, yeah. Okay. Number nine. Why does God need a messenger, the Satan, to help him? Question mark. Why would God call his advisor the Satan? Well, that was an easy one. Yeah, there's kinda. two kind of. Well, and that leads right into the 10th question, yeah. too. What does Satan mean? So, so we'll kind of lump these together. First, the word Satan means accuser. So if we had read, if the translators had decided not to say Satan in English translations, Mm -hmm. and they simply translated it according to the Hebrew, the accuser. If every time, the 11 times Satan is used in Job 1 and 2, if it just simply said the accuser, we we would interpret it totally differently. Um, So the accuser is Hasatan, the Satan. And uh, why does God call um, his advisor, the Satan. He doesn't. He's just called the accuser in that passage. But why does God need a messenger? Well, the word angelos, where we get our, our word angel from, it's a Greek word that means messenger. So if if I was sent, or I sent you yeah. as a messenger to go take a message to Jason, you are an angel. You're an angelos in Greek. So anytime you read angel in the Bible, it's a messenger. Yeah. So why does God need a messenger? I don't know. He created a whole bunch of angels that are his messengers. And uh, so clearly he decided he wanted some messengers. So it's kind of like the postal service for God. Well, that brings us to another Greek word, apostolos. Apostolos is an apostle. Yeah. One sent with a message. Right. So, you know, you can even hear the postal or post in yeah. that word. There you Apostolos. go. Apostolos. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Someone sent with a message. Yeah. Now, and then maybe saying, why did God need? May have better, the question may have been, why did God use? And that would probably frame it a little bit better. Because he didn't, just because he used somebody didn't mean Throughout the to. scriptures, God uses messengers. Yeah, he uses messengers. So that's how he works. Angels, apostles, prophets, all messengers sent by God, dispatched by God. Okay. So, so he, he didn't need them. That's just how he uses it. So that's number 10 and 9. What does Satan mean? It means accuser. So the advisor in that passage is the accuser, and uh, he's a messenger of God, angel. Okay. Number 11. Are the believers in heaven praying for us on earth? It's a very Catholic question. You Kind of. Mecca like a high, mecca honey hole. It's the, the idea of the saints, that you go to the saints to pray to them. I'll tell you what I think. I'm going to divine that you think no. Hear that silence? Long silence. Hear that hear that silence? I did hear that silence. As Chuck would say, where the Bible is silent, yeah. I will be also. There's a the Bible's pretty quiet on that. 
Yeah, I can't think of any place in the scriptures where those that have died and are with God in his presence are interceding on our behalf, praying on our behalf. Stop talking, punk. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Exactly. I don't think they're praying for us. I can't think of, no. Not that I know. So there's there's one picture that comes to mind in the book of Revelation of those that were martyred on right. behalf of the Lord, and they are calling out to the Lord and saying, how long, O Lord, until we are avenged? That, right. That's the only that's not thing that comes to my mind. Yeah, that's not... It is a petition of the Lord. Yeah, it's a question of the Lord. Right. But I, yeah, I, I don't see... We just don't there. see a lot of interaction from the other side in either direction. We did have the one with Lazarus and the tongue, or a little water to clench his... Yeah. But it's not a, a prayer thing. I think that... Has that come with like a Catholic thing, praying people out of purgatory, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, there it does come from Catholic theology where this... This idea of the saints or believers in heaven praying for us. Yeah, that's definitely a okay. That's, pro- that's probably where that comes. So my my answer would be most likely no. The Bible def- does not address it. Yeah, so I wouldn't buy. I'm, I wouldn't bank on it. I'm racking my brain. I can't think of any passage in the scripture that no. says that. Now, if we, if somebody could come up with a scripture to the, you know, Pastor David Guzik, I know he's a listener. He can he can inform us where we are wrong on this one. The Guzmeister. That's right, Meister Guzer. Someday we'll just call him in onto the show. That'd be great. All right. All right. Last one. Okay. On Sunday's message, Scripture says so many quotations, female donkeys. Why would that be significant to mention the gender of donkeys? Okay. Let's just say the sex of donkeys, not the gender. Gender is a construct. Uh, so in... <laughs> Whoa. Sorry, that was. I'm, uh, are we going to talk about donkey sex? No, Is I'm that just what getting. No, about? I'm just getting into no, the whole no, thing that I, well, I do that have was some crazy, concerns. Man, that was some donkey sex. <laughs> I have some concerns about our modern culture on the issues of gender. Gender, so, yeah. So I would want to use the, the actual biological word. terms. Sex, so, sex, male, female. This is coming from Job chapter 1, verse 3, that it talks about the possessions of, of Job, that he had 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys. So uh, why does the scripture identify that he had female donkeys well for one we know that he had more donkeys than just those 500 female donkeys but the 500 female donkeys would be the most valuable for two reasons cash crop man they are most valuable for two reasons one that female donkeys are breeders you know they can breed and make more donkeys but two in that ancient culture and part of the world they would milk the donkeys donkey milk donkey donkey milk it's kind of an important thing in that donkey culture milk. and at that time and donkey milk is still used today do you know what product is made with donkey milk oftentimes donkey cheese no there is a soap yeah. that is made with donkey milk really yeah but in that time donkey milk it's was... not ivory soap because ivory is made out of doves they squeeze doves to get is the that ivory what they do of, i think oh, so I or maybe that's dove I'm that's dove soap dove soap is yeah i like dove soap do you think they nice. squeeze the doves to get the dove chocolates <laughs> All right, let's move on. Yeah. That, that's disturbing. I, I know where they get those little uh, menthol cough drops from. What? The bottom of the koala cage, for sure. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. That's what I was told when I was a that's kid. That's disturbing. Eucalyptus. You eat menthol eucalyptus all uh, day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. This is going south quick. Okay, so yeah, female donkeys, they were, um, they were the most valuable for breeding and for donkey milk. All right. And I did, I did do a search the other day. Donkey milk? Amazon.com has donkey milk. You got to be kidding me. I'm dead serious. We should totally get some. I know who sent this question too. Maybe we'll order and ship some donkey milk. So, really? Yeah. Is it somebody in a foreign land like Washington? No. No. But you can get a whole bunch of donkey milk soap. There's a whole bunch of it really? on Amazon. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. I, I just thought of a great ad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, I know exactly. Donkey either. soap for washing those sensitive <laughs> yeah. areas. Yes. Uh, uh, washing your hair, washing your look pits. Look at this one right here. They have uh, donkey milk uh, olive oil soap. Ooh. Man, that is so Mediterranean. Whoa. Right on, man. All right. You go, Popeye. Anyways. You and olive oil. Yeah. Hmm. So... Key word today is creme brulee. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think so. As we get ready for this I weekend, we're going to be... I with donkey soap. We're going to... No. <laughs> creme brulee, I think, is good. Yeah. We're going to be uh, in Job 2 and see the, the second part of the, the Satan story. Should be... <laughs> Gripping. Fascinating. Yeah. Look at this. You can get... Um, not only can you get donkey milk, but you can get 
camel milk right up at the Camel Dairy in R- Ramona. Have you I seen that? I just passed that yesterday. Yeah, when you're on your way to Julian. Oasis Camel Dairy. That's we right. used to rent camels. Okay, get this. True story. We camel. would rent camels to do the nativity at Maranatha. And there was actually a camel named Clyde. Clyde the Camel? That's a great name. Yeah. Okay, camel milk. Fresh camel milk. Eight ounces. $60 for eight ounces. I that gotta, stuff better like make you okay, like de-age I, or something. You know what? I got a great idea. Huh? Let's get rid of the 37 pets you have at your house. Yeah. And get just a camel. get a camel. You, you don't even know how much my wife would love to have a camel. No camels. Will the homeowners board sign off on yeah, a camel? No. Uh-uh. If you want camels, you got to live in Saudi Arabia. They're kind of big time in Saudi Arabia. They've got them right here in Ramona. You know, speaking of news articles, Saudi Arabia has just begun to open up towards tourism because they're finding that there's so many people that want to come to Saudi Arabia because there's a whole bunch of biblical sites in Saudi Arabia. There's many Ooh. people who believe that Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia. And uh, so, yeah, maybe the Saudi Arabian tour. I'd go on that. Arabian Nights. That would be fun. Yep. I would love to ride my mountain bike. In Saudi Arabia. Down Mount Sinai. Sinai, Sinai yeah. That'd, that'd be, be amazing. Cool. Um, so I've always wanted to ride it down Masada, man, that I ran, I ran the trail. I, I, yeah. I did some trail running down the Masada trail. It was fun. I think I even was wearing the, the, the GoPro when I did that. I think I have that on GoPro. Video really? Is this a recent trip? No, this is like four years ago, four or five years ago. I just remember one time being at Mount Carmel. Yeah. Not the one here, the one in Israel. And I'm, I'm, I'm watching these guys on mountain bikes and I'm like, oh man, I wish I had my mountain bike. And all of a sudden, these guys just go and they bomb down Mount Carmel. And I'm like, That'd okay, be cool. I'm lusting in my heart right okay, now. Okay, well, I gotta we, go when we were in Galilee this last time, uh-huh. we're cruising along the Sea of Galilee. And, you know, they got the, the boats out there where people go do the tours on the boats. And then I see these two guys go flying by on jet skis. And I said to Andrea, that's what I want to do on the Sea of Galilee right there. Jet skis on Galilee. That would be fun. I probably I, won't get a, a ticket. I one. would, yeah, I would like to do that yeah because I, I would like different memories of galilee yeah so our two memories are i caught a, some fish on in the you sea fish? oh heck yeah i brought my brought my fishing rod all the way that's and awesome. the very first night we went to guy beach which is yep. right there i know exactly where. and at. i'm there and you fish it at night because that's how you fish there and i was catching fish awesome yeah and then did you find any money in the mouth of the fish i did not and i was looking for look? shekels you oh looked, heck yeah right, i was looking for shekels it would have to. They weren't big fish, so it would have to be a very small widow's mite, probably. Uh-huh, yeah, and then um, we had a crazy guy on the tour boat. He did he jump, walk on water? He tried to walk. Tried on to walk water. on water. And there the guys go. on the tour boat just looked at it like they had seen it a hundred times. Many times. It's before. like I yeah. wonder if they had a pool. Like, okay, which American knucklehead is going to try to, you know, walk, walk on, water. on water? Where's Jesus? Yeah. So creme brulee. Creme brulee. That's the secret phrase for this weekend as mm-hmm. we get into Job chapter two. Burning custard. And here we go. We'll see you Sunday. Wow.